0: I've been in evangelism for 42 years. I've never, ever been more excited about ministry than I am today. I've never, ever been more excited. I've never seen unsafe people more approachable than they are today because of everything from the economy to uh, terrorism, the cancer, to uh, the weirdness of stuff happening today. We are seeing a phenomenal response among unbelievers, and I've never seen unsafe people more approachable than they are today. At the same time, the thing that grieves me to no end is how the church as a whole has lost its passion for the lost, that they don't have the passion for lost people they had 42 years ago when I started. That's one reason I so appreciate it, Rob, one reason I recommend them to you, because I think every church needs a pastor that's committed to two things, exposition, teaching the word, and evangelism, because Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And I knew that Rob was committed to both. That's it's great to have this time with you. And over a year ago, I started at the end with all my outreaches, having a time with the leadership where I talked with them, why has the church lost its cutting edge evangelism, and how can it regain it? It's gone so well that church leaders have told me that if you'd only come just for that, it would have been worth the entire weekend because of how much it helped them. And I hope that you also find this beneficial. And what I'd like to do is spend a little time going through this with you and talking about it, 45 minutes, an hour at the most, whatever. And then uh, anyone that needs to leave can. If you have questions at all, I'd love to... Be able to answer them. My time is now hurried, and my time is yours. And if I can be of any help, I would love to do that. And that's what this time is all about. So, if you take your folder now, if you would, don't dismantle the contents because I'll be going over them one by one in the order in which they're in there. So, if you would, just keep them as they are, but pull out the handout. Why has the church lost its cutting edge evangelism, and how can it regain it? Because that's the one I want to go with you together. That I hope will be of help to you, and hopefully cause you to think about some things that maybe you had not thought about before. And again, I hope that you'll find this awfully beneficial. Now, with that in mind, take that hand Now, why has the church lost its cutting edge evangelism? How can it regain it? And feel free to interrupt me while I'm talking. This is a little bit of an informal time. At the same time, though, I will be giving you time. They ask some questions at the end, and some things you're probably a question about will be answered as I go through it. But feel free if something comes to your mind to ask anything you want to. Now, notice how I start. The church of today has become known for being keepers of the aquarium instead of fishers of men. Some are referred to it as the Christian Relocation Society. Consequently, churches tend to grow through the transfer of believers rather than by reaching the lost. So why is that? And how can the church regain its concern for the lost and and embodiment evangelism? Almost everywhere I go, one thing you find, that so many times the church grows by people transferring in from other churches instead of by reaching the lost. And I tell people, the Great Commission does not say, go and transfer disciples. (laughs) It says, go and make disciples. So what God wants is a church that grows by reaching the lost and then discipling them as believers. But so many churches simply grow by transfer. One time I was um, an associate pastor of a church in Dallas where I live that just blossomed overnight, asked if you could have lunch with me. I said, Of course. So we had lunch together, and he said, Here's what I want to ask. He said, Our church, as you know, has grown like crazy. But he said, We made a survey of where the people came from, and they came from ninety. 19- different churches in the Dallas area. And he says, somehow, that's not what we're supposed to be about. I said, I could not agree more because God wants a church to grow by conversion. Now, with that in mind, I want to answer two questions. First of all, why has the church lost its passion for evangelism? And I want to give seven reasons. Now, the reason I'm giving seven is not because I think that's the holy number, but because I could not think of eight. And for that, you ought to be grateful. <laughs> I one time heard about a speaker from Harvard that took every letter of the word Harvard, H-A-R-B-A-R-D, and let it stand for a point in his message that was absolutely boring. And someone asked, was asked at first, what did you appreciate about the speaker? They said, I am so glad he did not graduate from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. <laughs> And the reason I'm only at seven is because I could not think of eight, and for that you ought to be grateful. <laughs> okay, eight reasons. Number one, it stems back to our schools, colleges, and seminaries. One, evangelism is more of an afterthought than it is an essential. I was in a Bible college some time ago that does not have one course in evangelism your four years there. Now, one course in evangelism. Two, there are many more Christian educators there ever have been that have never led a person to Christ. Billy Graham one time said, no person should be allowed to teach in a Bible college who has not been allowed to lead one, who has not led at least one person to Christ. More than every form, there are professors in our schools and seminaries that never ever talk to lost people. I was in a Bible college some time ago, had a fantastic week with the students. And the faculty said to me, we were wondering if we could have a time with you at the end of the week as a faculty. I said, well, of course. Well, I had time with them. One of them said, look, want to ask you something, you come for a week and our students think they can take the world for Christ. We're here all day, all week, every week, but they don't get excited about evangelism. Why? So I said, may I ask every one of you a question? I said, I want to go around the table. I want to ask you this question. How many of you have spoken to one lost person within the last month? Let's just go around the table. How many of you present the gospel to one lost person? Every single head went down. I said, I don't think we have to do it, do we? I said, the reason is you're talking about the lost, but you're not talking to the lost. And that's why the students are not excited about evangelism, because they're watching you. And you're not excited. And the fact is, there's more faculty than ever that have never led people to Christ. Three... The results are seen in the graduates. Now, follow me for a second. Suppose you have a professor who never talks to people about Christ. What did he produce? A student who never talked to people about Christ. What does he become? A pastor who never talks to people about Christ. What does he produce? People who never talked to others about Christ. And what it does, it stems right back to our school, Bible college, and seminary. Okay, two. Believers today are unsure how to relate to people, who have not come from the same background they did. Now, that's particularly true of my generation because they're having trouble relating to people who did not come from the same background. God was not a household word. Church was not a normal experience. I've seen more people in the last year than I've ever met in my life who have told me I have never, ever gone to church in my entire life. Three, the Bible was not an often-read book. Uh, what, some time ago a new convert told me when I start out in 73 I ask every lost person have you heard of John 3.16 if I start the verse they could always finish it now I don't even ask the question because they have no idea what I'm talking about in fact some time ago a new convert told me he sincerely believed when he saw John 3.16 on a placard like at a football game or something he sincerely thought those were directions to the bathroom. That if you want the John, the third row of the 16 seat would take you to the bathroom. He had no idea it was a verse from the Bible. A pastor told me, he asked some new converts, who was crucified alongside of Christ on the cross? And one new convert raised his hand and he said, I think it was a father of Paul the Apostle. And the pastor, being careful not to embarrass him, said, Oh, why'd you say that? And new convert said, well, somewhere I read in the Bible where Paul the Apostle said, My old man was crucified with Christ. <laughs> and he sincerely thought that was a father of Paul the Apostle, my old man. <laughs> and the point is, they've just don't, not coming from that kind of background. Studies used to reveal the average lost person, here's the gospel, five to seven times before they come to Christ. The standard for years was five to seven times. Some statistics that they have revealed is often closer to. 15 times a person hears the gospel before ever comes to Christ. And one problem today is Christians are not the best at patience. That if they share Christ today, they want decision today. And the fact is, sometimes they're hearing the gospel 15 times before they come to Christ. And I tell people, they will come to Christ, but you got to be patient. It's not going to happen as fast as it did 40 years ago. And that's the difference. Okay, three. Satan is Satan. A deceiver, a liar, and a father of lies. One, ask the question, if you were Satan, how would you destroy the Christian witness at a time when non Christians is so approachable? I've told many church leaders, you ought to have one board meeting where the only thing you discuss is, if you were the devil, how would you destroy this church? And then whatever you decide he would use, then that's what you work against. A, mess up the lives of believers Cause them to focus on their own problems, not those of non-Christians. B, keep the church leaders so busy dealing with problems in the assembly, there is no time to think about outreach. The comment's been made the biggest hindrance to reaching people outside the church are the people inside the church because sometimes they so tie up leaders' time, they have no time to think about outreach. C, keep believers in their comfort zone, discouraging them from venturing outside. D, call those in leadership positions to stumble away that hinders the church's progress and growth. Some time ago, I went back and made a list of all the people I was close to in Bible college and seminary. The thing that struck me so hard is one half of all those people I was close to in Bible college and seminary are no longer with their mates or even in the ministry. Half the people I was close to in Bible college and seminary, I just found out last week, a leader I know well has now confessed to having improper relations to 30 different women. And for that reason, again, Satan's working a bit over time. E, divide the church over issues that should unite the church. Example, music. Often the dividing issue in the church today is music. When it ought to be the thing that unites the church, it divides the church. F, when things get tight financially, caught finances for evangelism to be the first thing to go. I can promise you, based on 42 years' experience, if a church has trouble financially, the first place they always cut is evangelism. When that ought to be the last thing you cut, because that's the thing that's impacting the kingdom forever. Okay, D, the church is unclear of its message. One, salvation had become confused with sanctification. Two, entering the Christian life had become confused with living the Christian life. I know of a speaker that's known by many people in many countries who said, quote, a disorganized Christian is no Christian at all. A disorganized Christian is no Christian at all. His contention was, if you're disorganized, it's because you have never come to Christ. Because if you come to Christ, he'd have helped you with that. I'm sorry. My Bible says, he who believes in me, it does not say, and is organized, has eternal life. He who believes has eternal life. I know another speaker who says, quote, you can pray and not be a Christian. I agree. But then he says, you cannot be a Christian and not pray. I completely disagree. How many Christians do you know who struggle with their prayer life? And so people come to me and say, I struggle with my prayer life. This guy said, you cannot be a Christian and not pray. Do you think I'm not a Christian? I say, well, you know you may not be a Christian? but don't examine it on that basis because everybody struggles with their prayer life and we are confusing any of the Christian life we living it. Three, salvation and discipleship have become one and the same and they are not one and the same. God first invites you to become a Christian. That's completely free. Then he invites you to become a disciple. That means take up the cross. Salvation free, discipleship may cost you your own life and you dare not confuse the two. Four, Acts of countries through pre-evangelism have become a substitute for evangelism. The church is doing one of the best jobs it's ever done of reaching out to the poor, helping the hungry. The problem is they're often calling that evangelism. That is not evangelism. That is pre-evangelism. And as someone says so well, we're sending people to hell on a full stomach. And the fact that you can send people to hell on a full stomach because you fed the hungry... But the fact is, you've never given them the gospel. Okay, five. Pharisaism had become a disease within the church. And so many Christians have the attitude, if you look like me, then you might be a Christian. And my answer is, I don't want to look like you. <laughs> I want to look like Christ. But Phariseism is a big problem often in the churches. If you look like me, you're probably a Christian. And the fact is, we want to look like Christ, not you. Thus, when believers do meet non-Christians, they're not sure what to tell them. So when Christians walk up to the lost person, they're not sure what to tell them because salvation and sanctification have become so confused. E, the church has become defensive instead of offensive, allowing that to focus on answering divisive questions. Where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on homosexuality? What's the divine line between church and state? And I tell people, I'll tell you where I stand on every one of those issues right after I tell you. Cry, die for your sins and rose from the grave but we've allowed people to push us into our defensive position instead of taking the offense. And the fact is we need to take the offense, not the defense. Okay, F, church growth has become more important than church outreach. One, we are asking how many people do we have this year we had last year instead of how many people have come to Christ to the corporate witness of the church and are now growing as disciples. Building new programs have become more important than birthing new Christians. Come to Christ immediately followed with, now come to church. And the fact is, we're more concerned about church growth than church outreach. God wants churches to grow. But if you come to the end, you say, how many more people do we have this year than we had last year? I don't mean be sarcastic. I don't mean that. You know, people know me that well. But I want to say, who cares? Because if all they did was come from other places, or people come back to church used to come before, You've really not made a difference in the kingdom. Instead, what you got to ask without pointing any fingers at anybody, don't point fingers at anybody, that does no good. How many people come to Christ, to the corporate Western church, and now growing as disciples? Then you get an idea how well the church is growing. Okay, G, the church suffered from being victims of extreme. One, reaching and teaching. The church used to focus on reaching the exclusion of teaching. If you go back to the early 1900s, Places like your church were largely unknown because the church concentrated on reaching, not so much teaching. The church now focused on teaching, the exclusion of reaching. I don't know how many church leaders have said to me, our church is great on teaching, but it's really weak on reaching. The New Testament balance is a church that reaches and teaches. In New Testament, it's not either or, it's both and. Okay, two, insiders and outsiders. The church once focused on outsiders, the exclusion of insiders. The salvation of those on the outside was more important than the discipleship of those on the inside. If you go back to times of revival and crusades when Billy Graham first started, reaching those on the outside was far more important than the growth of those on the inside. The church now focused on inside to inclusion of outsiders, more concerned about their own people than reaching those outside their walls. Last year, I had a pastor say to me something I thought I'd never, ever hear from a pastor. He said, we have decided for the next year we are not going to mention evangelism. All we're going to do is take care of our own people. Now, what to say to him, you won't even help your own people. Because if you're not reaching the loss, it's not going to help your own people. Because there's something about seeing people come to Christ that really has a way of helping Christians. Because they remind you where you used to be in a whole bunch of things. New Testament emphasizes the importance of both. Now, with that in mind, those are the six reasons I would give. So if that characterizes the problem, what characterizes the cure? And again, I've mentioned six things. A, start with the question, what matters to God? First and foremost is a message we have from believers. First Corinthians 15:3 and 5 makes it clear. That message can be reduced to 10 words, cried, die for sins and rose from the dead. B, Galatians 1a contains one of the strongest warnings of the entire Bible. If we or any other angel from heaven preach any other gospel than what we have preached, let him be accursed. That's followed by Galatians 1:2, making clear the clarity of the message is a matter of faithfulness to God. A pastor of a large church I know, he steps in the pulpit every Sunday, and he says, "All together," and the people say, "Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead." Because I am so afraid our people are going to forget what the gospel is, and therefore confuse salvation and sanctification, and every single Sunday they go say together, "Christ died for our sins, and rose from the dead." As i told people in our training, the Bible is six, six books, but the gospel is ten words. Cry, die for sins, rose from the dead. And if Pastor Rob says before your people and says, what's the gospel? Everyone ought to say in ten words, cry, die for sins, and rose from the dead. And if they can't, that's important to teach them what that is because people so easily move away from the gospel. Two, equally important is what God's asking non-Christian to do. The one book specifically written tells how to received eternal life is the gospel of John? B. Believe means come to God as a sinner, recognize Christ died for me and rose again. I trust in Christ alone to save me. C. Salvation comes to Christ plus comes not through trust in Christ plus, but through trust in Christ. Period. Just like as I said, if Rob stand before the people and said, "What's the gospel?" they all say, "Christ died for sin, and rose from the dead." If he says, "What does believe mean?" they all say. Trust in Christ alone. Because if you are not careful, I'm warning you. Your people get away from those two simple things. They'll forget what the gospel is, and they'll forget what saving faith is. In fact, buckle your seatbelts. Coming back on a trip from speak engagement, I'll have a man to Christ on the plane who has been teaching eighth graders for 10 years in the most respected Baptist church in Dallas. Let me say it again. I let a man to Christ who's been teaching eighth graders for 10 years in Sunday school in the most respected Baptist church in Dallas. He said, I've never understood this before. I said, what did you think you have to do to get to heaven? He said, well, go to church, be baptized, live a good life. I've never known it was free. And he's been teaching eighth graders for 10 years in the most respected Baptist church in Dallas. When you stand before people and say, what's the gospel? They always say, Christ, die for and sin, rose from the dead. If you say, what does believe mean? You ought to say, trust in Christ alone. Because it's so important they don't get away from those two things. Three, face the reality that many believers are not clear in the above two issues. What is not clear in their mind, we're not clear in the minds of the unbeliever. Spurgeon, that famous preacher of the past, was known for his saying, the reason so many people don't make the gospel clear, they don't know what the gospel is. And sometimes the reason believers don't make the gospel clear is they're not clear what it is. With the gospel understood, teach them the difference between salvation and discipleship. Salvation being free and discipleship involving a cost. Six, help believers understand the biblical principle that it's hard to make a difference if you're not different. In other words, it is important to live the Christian life. But don't confuse that with entering it. So teach them how you enter it. What's the gospel? Altogether? Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. What's saving faith? Trust in Christ alone. And then once that's clear, now say, now it's important, once you trust Christ, then live a life of gratitude for Him. But don't confuse the two. Why? Because if they're not clear in those two, and on those issues, they won't make it clear in the life of a lost person. Because what's not clear in my mind will not be made clear in the mind of somebody else. Okay, B, prioritize people. Deprioritize buildings and programs. Now, notice, I did not say ignore, uh, ignore buildings. I said deprioritize. It's not a thing of ignoring buildings and programs. It's a thing of deprioritizing. One, note the word deprioritize, not ignore. Be certain that any building or program is the means, is not the end. There are so many churches have some type of building program that once they're done, they relax. We've done it. No, a building is just the means. It is not the end. Three, when a person comes to Christ, per our tie, getting close to them, not getting them close to your church. Now, let me read that again. When a person comes to Christ, per our tie, getting close to them, not getting them close to your church. Some time ago, a magazine asked me, will you write an article on how to assimilate new believers in the life of local church? I did. My answer was, the Bible does not tell you how to assimilate new believers in a local church. It tells you how to get close to a new believer. If you get close to a new believer, you're then getting them in your church. But your second step is not to get them to your church; is to get close to them. And then, if you get close to them, you're then getting them in your church. Now, a this is what the Bible emphasizes. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, affectionately longing for you, we were all pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. And you know how exhorted and comforted and charge every one of you as a father of his own children. B patience is demanding a day when lost people have not given up on God, but they have given up on the church. Across the world in so many communities, you got to understand, a fact about our day is people have not given up on God. I'm having the blast of my life leading lost people to Christ. They have given up on the church. Their church is no longer relevant to life where they're living. A book's even been written, I like your God, I just don't like your church. And many people have given up on church. It's no longer relevant to life where they're living. Now, you can get disgusted by that, get discouraged by it, or you can just face and do something about it. And the way you face it is get close to them. Once you get close to them, you then get them close to your church. Experience has proven, see, you get close to them, you then get them close to your church. Why is common sense? Why do most people come to a particular church? It's not because of youth program. It's not because of pastor. It's not because of preaching. Why do most people go to any given church? Relationship, somebody in the church. You get close to them, you're then getting them close to your church. We had our outreach some time ago. It was phenomenal. And I asked the person, now get back to me and tell me the results. He said, okay, here they are. One third of the people, they're just in there, growing. They're with it. One-third said, look, I came to Christ. Please don't tell me I didn't. I was sincere. I understood what Larry said. I trusted Christ. I'm just so scared of church. Please don't be upset with me. Just be patient. And so he had said, we have somebody meeting with them once a week for eight weeks, help them to stop and grow. And slowly they're coming to church. Then one-third we had more trouble with because they're out of town, that kind of stuff. But it's interesting how that breaks down five, you will then be situated to ask the question, how many people come to Christ through the corporate and the church and are growing as disciples? Now, along with prioritizing people, budget money for local evangelism. What's true with people is truth with the church because, after all, the church is people. What did Christ say in Matthew 6.21? Where your heart is, your treasure is also, right? No. He said, where your treasure your heart is. Because Christ knew people, your heart will always follow your money. And churches are evangelistic, budget 10 to 20% of their budget for local evangelism. Now, please notice, I did not say for foreign missions. I'm talking about local evangelism. Because you've got to have a difference between local evangelism and foreign missions. Because if you don't, foreign missions will eat up all of your budget. Instead, it needs to be a budget for local evangelism and a budget for foreign missions. And Church of Evangelistic spend 10 to 20% of their budget for local evangelism. I had a man call me from North Carolina some time ago. He said, the church asked me if I would head up our evangelism program, and I told him I would. I said, I asked them, how much money do I have to work with? They said, none, because we don't budget money for evangelism. And so he said, how do you make a church evangelistic without money? I said, I don't know. When you figure it out, call me back. (laughs) Because I don't know how you do it. It takes money. The gospel is free, but it takes money to get it to a lost person. And so you've got to budget money for that. Okay, C, train your people in evangelism and never stop training. One, more believers are interested in evangelism training than have an offer to them. A church I was in some time ago, he took a survey of the people and said, where would you like to have more training? Number one response was evangelism. He said, it blew my mind. And I am finding there are a lot more people interested than have it offered to them. Now, two, help them overcome their two big struggles, fear not knowing how. The one thing that has not changed in 42 years, back in 73, there were two reasons people did not evangelize. They're afraid they did not know how. They are the same two reasons today. They're afraid they don't know how. That has not changed in 42 years. Three, train them by leading through example, not just exhortation. Because people do what you do, they don't do what you say. So if you want them to be evangelistic, are you evangelistic yourself? Are you talking about the lost, or are you talking to the lost? Because people are going to do what you do, they're not going to do what you say. Different strokes for different folks are essential in training. Usually everything from books to DVDs, one hour to three months. That's why at Vantel we have all kinds of training. Three months training, four weeks training, one hour training, online training. Because you use different strokes for different folks. You train them in different ways. Cause your people. They don't have to know what others believe. They have to know what they believe. Please don't tell your people. You've got to know what other believer people believe. Because the fact is, you don't. You've got to know what you believe. They can tell you what they believe. And you know what happens? If you convince people they've got to know what they believe, others believe, how in the world do you keep up? There are so many new cults of things bringing up every single month. How do you ever keep up? Are they from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints reorganized? Which one are they from? And they're two different groups. And you don't have to know what they believe. You got to know what you believe. But some believers have been taught that if you don't know what they believe, you can't evangelize. The fact of the matter is, biblically, that is not true. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says... I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. And furthermore, you know who leads more to Christ than anybody else? Who leads more to Christ than anybody else? Anyone know? Uh, I think you said it, pardon? New converts. And they don't know anything. <laughs> All I know is Christ died for me. And they lead more to Christ than anybody else. Okay, D. Encourage Christians to venture out of their comfort zone. Now, help them understand the sewing principle. The more people they know and talk to, the more evangelism opportunities they have. Someone said the best thing you ever taught me in evangelism was the three Cs. Contacts, conversations, conversions. They all come down to three Cs. Contacts, conversations, and conversions. Contacts lead to conversations, and conversations lead to conversions. The more contacts you have, the more conversations you have. The more conversations you have, the more conversions you have. And the more that's, it's a simple of three Cs. Two, encourage them to look at their own lives and life how isolated people become. Backyard fences, garage door openers, online banking, home delivery pizza, and sometimes it's for all kinds of reasons. And sometimes, just like here in the Bahamas, it's for safety reasons that people are so concerned about their safety, and therefore, if anything, that keeps them from venturing out of their comfort zone. Stress what God stresses. Faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Now, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. There is a misunderstanding you've got to correct in your church. And that is, if I don't lead them to Christ, it does not count. And that thinking permeates the church. I had a pastor say to me, we have something we do that I think is exciting. He said, we put a rose on the pulpit for everyone who led someone to Christ that week. I said, "I think it's a horrible idea." He said, "Why?" I said, "You realize, if I spoke to five people about Christ that week, I don't get a rose. But if I never talked to someone about law, Christ, and all of a sudden I got lucky if I may use that phrase, then to Christ, I get a rose." I said, "That is so discouraging." I said, "And what you're telling people is, you only count if you bring them to Christ." I said, sometimes God uses 36 people to bring someone to Christ. And I'm telling you, the fifth of 36 gets as much reward as the 36th one. He said, we'll change it this Sunday. We're going to put a rose in the pulpit for anyone who talks to anyone about Christ, regardless of the response. I said, now you're emphasizing what God does. Faithfulness, not prooffulness. Th- three, stress what God stresses. Faithfulness, not prooffulness. Four, look at everything your church is doing and ask, could this be useful in evangelism? Take everything you're doing and saying. Could this be helpful evangelism? Uh, Five, get your most creative people together and brainstorm outreach ideas. And every idea is a great one. They say, I think we ought to send a balloon in the air with a cross on the bottom. They say, that's a fantastic idea. Why didn't we think of that before now? (laughs) Every idea is great. Then once all the ideas are out there, take away the bad ones, keep the good ones. But get your creative people together and think. I tell people, God takes away your sins. He does not take away your brains. And so don't be afraid to be creative and think. Have one or three events a year that target non-Christians. I even know if a church has decided they're going to try something. And they had a gift-wrapping service for non-Christians. That if you want your service, gift-wrapped, free of charge, and you're a non-Christian, if you bring the gift to the church, the church will wrap it for, for you, free of charge. Unsaved, they asked, why are you doing this? You know what their answer was? Because we want you to know when God wrapped his gift, he wrapped it free of charge. They got so much response, and next year they had to take it to the uh, storefront because they got so much response. They, they had to get more people and more helpers. They got such response. Okay, E, develop accountability among your sphere of influence. One, stress accountability areas such as spiritual growth, sexual purity, and personal outreach. I would say to every single one of you, not only do you have an accountability partner, but is that partner holding you responsible for evangelism? Now, when you're an evangelist, you don't have to be held responsible for evangelism because that's how I live. If I could not evangelize, don't be so saying to me, I've got a fantastic wife, a fantastic marriage, fantastic staff. But if I could not evangelize, God might as well take me home. Because that's how I live. I mean, I love to evangelize. I don't have to be held accountable to evangelism. I do have an accountability partner in other areas. accountability partner who asks me every month, are you being faithful to your wife? And two, are you lying to me? <laughs> are you being faithful to your wife? Or are you lying to me? <laughs> so if I lie on the first question, I got to lie on the second. <laughs> I think church leaders need an accountability partner in those areas. But I also think you need an accountability partner evangelism that every month we ask you this question. How have you reached out to a lost person this month? Now notice, I did not say how many of you led to Christ. I said, how have you reached out for lost, to a lost person this month? Because then you can encourage your people, will you be accountable to evangelism? But if you're not accountable to somebody else, then you can't ask them to be. Lead by example, ask them to do what you do. Now I just say, now F, Be certain you and your leaders commit to maintaining balance. Always ask what's biblical, not what's popular. Two, emphasize evangelism and discipleship, reaching and teaching. And three, implement a means to measure both outreach and spiritual growth. And I'm telling you, if you do those things, you're going to see a church returning to a cutting edge evangelism. Because never forget, let's say it together. As the leadership goes, so goes the church. Say it again. As leadership goes, so goes the church. And that's why I have this time with you to say to you, yes, the church has lost its cutting edge. But no, it's not impossible to regain it. You can regain it in evangelism. And I will hope to God you do. And I know that's Rob's heart. That's why I want this time with you. Now, I have something to say in closing that I hope you never forget the rest of your life. It's a most exciting story and a true one. But I want to save it it for the end. I want to uh, take care of any questions you have. Now, before we do that... Let me go through the packet with you. And if you would, take that packet that you have, and let's go through the item just one at a time, just very quickly, so you know what's in there. First of all, you have a van who we are and what we do. And that's there so you know I can pray for us. God has so worked that five people every single minute now are hearing the gospel out of Resolve Outreach. Five people every single minute are here in the gospel. as all our outreach, and we would really appreciate your prayers. Notice at the bottom, academic, church, community, and workplace. Those are the four areas we're training people today. Academic, church, community, and workplace. Seeing great things happen. Then you have an item called the Evangelism Study Bible. If you have not gotten a copy of the Evangelism Study Bible, please go online with Mantel and get one. Do you realize we're well, 2,000 years of Christ there has never been an evangelism study Bible. This is the conclusion of a six-year project, and it's being acclaimed by national leaders across the country. Over 250 breakout articles. On the back, it tells you everything that's in the study Bible. 2,600 tips in evangelism. From Genesis to Revelation, you see God's heart for the lost, and you see things that are helping evangelism. The evangelism study Bible, the New King James Version, is the one we use because that's the most well-known. Okay, the next item in your uh, booklet is a wake-up call evangelism. Evangelism in action just tells you what God's doing throughout the world. Uh, it's our evangelism highlight. Then the next item in your booklet, I'm just going through them very quickly. What does Viento offer you in evangelism? There's all the stuff we have to help you in evangelism. We are both an outreach and equipping ministry, and that's what we have to help you in evangelism. Okay, now let me pause for a moment. The next thing you have is pre-evangelism resources. And right behind that is the toolbox. Three to four times a year we send something called the toolbox designed to encourage you in evangelism. There you have a copy of it. If you are not getting the toolbox, I promise you, you ought to be. If you'll give me your name and email, obviously being here, I can't cost postage is too costly. But if you'll give me your name and print your email. Please, if your handwriting is like mine, need the gift of interpretation. So please print your email very carefully because you know if you get one letter wrong, it won't go. If you'll print your email, tear off that top part. You can do it right now as I'm talking. Tear off the top part, put it on the front of the table, and I'll come along after us and collect those. But I promise you, if you're not getting the toolbox, you need to because it's designed to encourage evangelism. I have people say to me, I don't care what you change as your ministry grows please don't stop sending me the toolbox because it's helped me so much in evangelism. Now, tear off the top part because the bottom are all the books I've written on evangelism to help you. And so keep the bottom part because those are all the books I've written to help you in evangelism. But tear off the top part, again, and you might want to do it now before you forget it. Print your name and email very carefully. Leave it on the front of the table and then I'll be happy to see you get a copy of that. Now, the next item in the agenda is, what does Evangel offer the local church? The first one was, what does Evangel offer you? Now, that one is, what does Evangel offer your church? It's all the stuff you have available to help your church evangelism. Obviously, we put expenses in these folders, and I hope that means a lot to you, which I'm sure it does. But just give you a listing of all this stuff you can go through uh, this afternoon, this evening, this week, whatever then how can Larry Moyer sit your church and community? The reason that's there is uh, four years ago, I made the best decision I ever made. I turned the day-to-day operation over to somebody else to let me free to do what I do best. And for that reason, my five functions are, of course, raising funds for nonprofit, but directing, developing the board, giving you all vision, speaking and writing. And uh, that's what I love to do the most. And so people wonder, are you still available to travel to our churches and all to help you? And my answer is yes, because I've turned day-to-day operation over to somebody else. That's all the stuff I do to help. Then Evangelist Bonanza Sunday is one we're just having, getting great response to. Uh, going to Church of Virginia next, and they're so excited. They're rating, uh, ready and waiting for it. Uh, where for one Sunday, you have a thing like this. I look at the training time tonight as a chance to equip most of your church. A wild game feast brochure would not be of help to you because it doesn't fit here in the Bahamas. But in the, some countries, and some particularly the United States, wild game feasts are very effective reaching a lost person. I don't know of anything better, easier, anything easier to get a lost person to than that. I had one with Rob when he was up in Pennsylvania. And uh, if you know someone in the States, you can share that with them. That might be helpful to them. Increasing the evangelistic fervor of your church. There are 10 suggestions that are making a marked difference in raising the evangelistic fervor of the church. Ten practical suggestions that work very well. Then you have the church and new membership guide, church and new member evangelism spiritual guide. Now open that up, if you would, to the second page. And there you see on that second page are seven questions you ought to ask to determine where your church is in evangelism. Now notice it says A through F. F is not failure. F is unsure. But you can determine where your church is in evangelism. Most leaders have their churches higher up in evangelism than they actually are. And that t- helps you to take an objective look. Then turn to the next page. And it says um, Four questions I ask new church members. Chuck Svindal, church, came to me one time and said, What question do you ask a new prospective member? determine if they're saved I said there's not one there's four you've got to ask any prospective member four questions and if they understand salvation they get all four right if they don't they mess up with one of the poor and because you've got to be awfully cautious that people coming from membership today know the language they don't always know the Lord because they didn't come from a place where the gospel was made clear so they don't always know the they may know the language may not know the Lord and that'll be helpful to you then Flying Strong, that is our most uh, developed uh, discipleship program in evangelism, where I and another leader come to your church and we meet for a couple days. And that's a very extensive uh, discipleship program in evangelism. You can look at it as you have opportunity. Then last item, what does the event offer? Colleges and universities. So yeah, what does the event offer you, your local church, and then the last page, colleges and universities. And all of that's there to just help you in evangelism and be a benefit to you. Now, obviously, I've covered a whole lot of stuff. I want to say one thing in closing that I hope so excites you. You can't even keep your mind on the National Football League games today. I cannot say enough how much I thank God for your church. Uh, I come here because I'm so committed to what you guys are doing. I'm so committed to my brother Rob. I'm so committed to what you want to do. And I'm here to be your servant. I believe the job of an evangelist is to be a servant to the local church. I thank God for you. And the fact that you're all here like this says a lot about you. And if I can be of any help, of any time, in any way, let me know. Here's what I say closing. I think sometimes we make this issue a whole lot more difficult than it is, because God's heart is for lost people. What did Luke 19:10 say? The Son of God has come to what? Seek and save the lost. So you get down on your knees before God and say, God, we want our church to make an impact for Nassau in Christ. Help us do that. And God works in such a way because God's heart is for lost people. And God answers the prayers of righteous people who want answers. Now, with that said, I know of a man who was a pilot for Major Airlines. True story. I've checked out every detail of this. This happened years ago, but I checked out every detail. Pilot from Major Airlines. He came to Christ. He so grew that two years later he said, Lord, help me to be a witness to lost people. Because he came to understand how much God loves the lost. Two years later, he said to God, four years after his conversion, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. But I just want you to help me tell every pilot in this airline that God loves them. I don't know how you're going to do it. But I want you to help me tell every pilot in this airline God loves them. Two years after that, now six years, he thought, well, it's not possible. I'm not going to be in the cockpit with every pilot. So he got down on his knees. He said, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. But I want to tell every pilot in this airline that you love them. So you go figure it out. (laughs) Well, right after that, now this is what before security was what it is now. So understand that. But understand, I've checked out all these details. He was coming back from a three-legged journey. And the last stop was Daytona Beach in Georgia. And as he was about to step on the plane, off the plane, a hijacker stepped on. He said, turn around, we'll take this thing for a ride. And his idea was, they'd get at a certain altitude, then he would blow the thing to bits with he and the pilot in it. And so, as they were driving down the runway, as slowly as they could, <laughs> the pilot said to them, I don't know what your problem is. I don't know if it's your job, your family, your children, whatever it is, your money. I just know God's bigger than any problem you have. And he explained the gospel to the hijacker. The hijacker placed his pistol on the console of the plane, said, let's go back to the airport. And he turned himself in. The pilot supervisors came to him and said, we were so impressed with how calm you stayed under pressure that we want you to reenact this whole thing. We want to capture it on video. We want to use it to train every pilot in our airlines. And the pilot said, I will not do it. Supervisor said, you will do it. The pilot said, I want a weekend to think and pray. So he took the weekend to think and pray, came back to his wife. He said, I'm going to do it under one condition. They will let me explain everything I told that man about Jesus. And they won't edit out one thing. If they will let me do that, I'll do it. If they won't, they can fire me, but I'm not going to do anything else. So I went to the supervisor, he said, okay, I'll do it under this condition. I'm a man of integrity. And I'm going to explain everything I told that man, and you dare not edit it. Because if you do, that's lack of integrity. Now, if you want to fire me, fire me, but that's the deal. He said, you can say anything you want to say that you told him. As long as you told him, that's okay. And we will not edit out one thing. They then made that video required listening for every pilot on that airline decided it was so good, they'd make a required listing for every airline attendant as well. Five other airlines found out about it and said, would you allow us to use your video to train our pilots as well? And God answered his prayer in one big way. And as far as I know, I think that's why they call him the Almighty God. All God's people said, amen.